Today's lectionary passages uh, draw from the traditional offerings for Pentecost Sunday, uh, which we sang this morning, essentially, with our opening hymn, the story of the first apostles gathered and the Holy Spirit coming to them and giving them tongues as of fire to speak in new languages. Uh, The other lectionary passage that will be our focal point for this sermon is Genesis 11, the story uh, that we refer to often as the Tower of Babel. And it is part, and it concludes sort of the creation origin narrative in the book of Genesis. It's a hinge point in the story, uh, and it has a lot for which to us to listen. So listen now for the word of God through this strange and wonderful story. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as they migrated from the east... They came upon a plain in the land of Shinar, and they settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. And then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered abroad upon the face of the earth. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which mortals had built. And the Lord said, Look, they are one people, and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. Nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language there, so that they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, it was called Babel. Because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Dear God, if we cannot reach so high as to attain you, we pray that your spirit would descend upon us and Fill us and mold us and melt us and use us according to thy purposes. Attend to this time of speaking and listening and move us to where you would have us be as your people on this earth, which you have made. Amen. So given the nature of today's text and today's story, if there were any sermon where I should have the license to babble on and on and on, Uh, (laughs) this would be the one. You always take that license. Larry says I always take that license, yeah. I'll have a good comeback for that later. I don't know, it's going to come to me. (laughs) But actually, I, I don't think I will babble on today. Because I actually don't have that much to say. Just the same old, same old 
Because indeed, that is what this sermon is all about. Same old, same old. Let me explain. The story in Genesis 11, it's not so much a true story about a tower, but a mythic truth-telling story about a people. A people who built bricks so that they could build a city. A people who built a city so that they could build a tower. A people who built a tower so that they could build for themselves a name. And a people who built for themselves a name so that they would not be scattered across the face of the earth. That was it. That was the motivation behind all of this new construction. All of the reaching for the heights was initiated, ironically, so that the people could remain on the plain and go nowhere. We recall that the people, the ones of whom we are speaking, are the descendants of those of Noah and his family who survived that great and terrible flood on the ark. So you would think that they might choose something other than a plain on which to settle. As a home-building strategy went, it may not have made a whole lot of sense, but it is fitting for their character because it seems that is where and how they wanted life to be. Plain. But Genesis 11 is also the story of a God who had other plans, other desires for those people and for that world. As the story tells us, God looks down from heaven and sees that tower and sees that city. But if we really listen to the text, the tower and the city are not what primarily bothered God. And this interpretation down which I will lead us will perhaps stray from the one that we have received, that we hold close to mind, one that sees that tower as uh, a great sin of the people and an overreach as they sought to indeed touch God and thus angered and provoked God to jealousy. And I will also confess that the majority of my sermon writing this week up until the very, very last minute, implicitly and explicitly rested on that interpretation of the tower and it it being the sign of pride and willfulness of humankind. But that sermon didn't preach, didn't work. That sermon was a tower that could not stand because it rested on a shaky foundation of material that I didn't see in the text. So let's look at what's really in there. God does not say in Genesis 11, Oh my, me! Look at that tower. Nor does God describe, or is God described as having destroyed the tower. That was something I carried in my head, this image that God saw this wonderful construction and like a rambunctious boy in the sandbox had more pleasure in knocking it down than building it up. But once the tower is mentioned, God does not pay particular attention to it. In fact, the only thing God does to that tower 
truly is make it irrelevant, which is what it is mostly in the story. What is relevant, to God at least, is revealed in what God does and what God does say. Look, God says, they are one people. They all have one language. It's not the tower that seems to threaten what God hopes for creation. It's the static sameness of the people who seem with their tower and city well on their way to the destination of nowhere. So God says, to whom we cannot be sure, let us go down and confuse their language there so that they will not understand one another's speech. And in confusing their tongues, God scattered the people over the face of the earth. The end of this story. But it's the outcome that the people most wanted to avoid. Ancient cultures may have told and remembered this story to explain how it is that the world came to be populated by so many different kinds of people speaking so many different kinds of languages. But what this story may also express is God's desire for diverse dynamism and movement against entrenched homogeneity that seems to be so attractive to God's people, especially those who have their cities and towers and names to lose. The God of this text seems intent on moving people to a greater diversity of life, even though they want to cling to the same old, same old safety of the plain. So this story is not just about what the people built, but what God wants to build. When God said, let us go down, let us confuse their language, God uses language that's reminiscent of the creation story in Genesis 2, where God said, let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness. It's that language of let us make, let us do, let us build, that we hear in the story of Tower of Babel. And the Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann writes that when language only describes what is, language inevitably becomes conservative. It seeks to give permanence to the way things presently are. But language, he writes, can be evocative and creative. It can call into being things that do not yet exist. And that language is the language of hope and promise. And because that speech and language calls into existence new things, it is dangerous and subversive. It stands characteristically over and against things as they are. So when God confused the speech of the people... It probably felt to them dangerous and subversive because it called into being a world that did not yet exist. But that was the point. God meant more from that scattering than just destruction, than just tearing down the sandcastle in the sandbox or creating difference for the sake of difference. Instead of destruction, God willed construction 
the making of a new world. In just a short chapter from this one, where the narrative picks up after another genealogy, God tells Abram, who is a descendant of these people who made the tower, to go, to go, to leave where you are, to leave what you have made, to leave your families. For I, God says, will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. This is another example of God's subversively creative speech. It portrays the God of Scripture as one who wills movement, newness, subversion even, in order to build. God told the survivors of the great flood to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, But we, like those people in the story, often experience life's scatterings like a flood, like judgment, like destruction that threatens the best towers that we have been able to construct. But could it be that the confusion that we feel is a sign that God is not done with building? Could it be that God wants yet to send us to new life places, to infuse us with difference and diversity, so that we might, like Abram, be blessed to be a blessing? This movement is the story of Pentecost, the image of a God who breathes dynamism and difference, who blows like the wind and rests on people who are stuck in one place, and moving in their lives so that they may speak and be understood in the languages of many people, sending the gospel of Jesus Christ to lands yet not filled with the wonder of God's name. It's wonderful that Jim joined us today and then plans to move. It's a perfect example of how God can move in us. We are a people who are doing a lot of building. We're building our homes. We're building our families, our careers, our transcripts, our resumes. We're building our reputations and our sense of worth in our own eyes and in the eyes of others. We're building our retirement funds, our social media profiles. We are building a church. Why are we building? Are we, like the people of this text, building to the heights only so that we may remain unmoved on the plains, in the land of the same old, same old? Or are we willing to be scattered? For God to devise new language in our midst such that we are moved as well not necessarily geographically, but in a way through which God can use language that creates and evokes and invites a beautiful and diverse world that is very different than the one that we know so well. Westminster 
for those of you who have been here with us for the last six to eight months, and for those of you who are new to us, is involved in its own building project. Not with bricks of mortar, but in our efforts to add to and reconfigure our staff out of the abundance of our resources and our hopes for who we might be. This story in Genesis 11, the one that is less about the tower than the people who made it, can be for us in this church less of a warning and more of a promise that what we are doing, what we are building, if it is the work of God, will lead us away from sameness, homogeneity, because the spirit of Pentecost blows in our midst. That these changes that we seek to endeavor to do will not just be about doubling down on what we know, speaking and moving in ways that describe things as they are now, but living and moving to evoke life as it creatively may be. And in such a way that others whom we might not know or recognize or know how to speak to will be able to see in us and through us who God is and what God does. A few nights ago, my daughter's uh, elementary school, John Adams, over on the West End, had its annual international night, a celebration of the remarkable tapestry of culture and tradition embodied by its student body, but also by this city and by this region and indeed by this world. In all that we build as people and as a church, that dynamic tapestry is the world where God seems to be leading us as we build. So where is God scattering you? Does it confuse or threaten you? Does it make your life harder to understand? Or maybe are you in a rut? You want change, you want to leave the plane, but you seem stuck where you are. Or maybe you are just one of those lucky people for whom things are exactly as you want them to be. Upon all of these, upon all of us, the spirit of our living God still moves, blowing over the chaos in order to create order and life, and likewise descending upon order to introduce the chaos that also brings life. So to keep my promise, I will not babble much more than this partly because what I had set out to build and to write turned out to be like the tower, not as relevant and important as I had thought. But more importantly, because for you and for us, it's not time for just the same old, same old. For through the lens of Genesis 11, it is plain to see. God is moving to do to build, and to speak into being a new thing. 
May we have the eyes and the willingness to perceive it and to speak in our new creative language that is of God. Amen.